your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host, James Fox, alongside us. We have a guest this week because we want to learn more about the Chicago White Sox draft class and what the White Sox are adding to their organization. And boy, oh boy, are we excited to welcome on Peter Flaherty of Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter G. Flaherty. This is a treat for me, Peter, because as we were getting to know each other a little bit, you told us that you came from the New York Yankees prior to your stop at Baseball America. Now, if you could lay out that pathway to how you got to the Yankees and then also what was driving you in your career to get to where you are today, I would really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a bit of a unique path, I think. So I grew up coming to Cape League games. I mean, I know we'll touch on the Cape League a little bit later, but I grew up coming to Cape League games, um, obviously idolizing the outstanding college players and future professional players I was I was watching. Um, but I came to find out pretty quick that I was never going to be good enough to both play in the Cape League, professional baseball, and college baseball. But I love the game more than anything. Fell in love with it at an early age. My dad played in college, and so I was I was kind of looking for a way to stay involved, and I found out about the GM intern and MLB scouting liaison position with the Katuit Ketaliers. Um, when I was about 17 years old, um, I was I was fortunate enough to get it. And, and prior to that, I was kind of just looking for any way to stay around the field. So I started off cleaning the bathroom, sweeping the bleachers, and mowing the grass around the park. And kind of I would get paid with being able to shag batting practice and, and being around the guys. And that eventually evolved into the GM intern and scouting liaison role, which is where I met so many great people with the Yankees, um, including Matt Hyde, who I reported to, who is the Northeast area scout for the Yankees, um, scouting director Damon Oppenheimer, Tim Alexander, who handles the Mid-Atlantic, so many world-class human beings that I was fortunate enough to form a connection with. And we got to talking, and this was with the Yankees. It was around really right when COVID hit. I had actually ran into Matt Hyde in an airport, uh, and he was saying that he was meeting to reach out to me and connect. And, and he kind of offered me the associate scout role to help with the area code games and uh, helping him handle the Northeast. So that's kind of how I got involved with the Yankees was with them for the last couple of years. And then um, the opportunity with BA presented itself um, this past fall. And again, kind of threw my hat into the ring, was fortunate enough to get the opportunity. And I like to think that to this point, I've hit the ground running a little bit. Yeah, well, that's phenomenal. And we you know, give you a round of applause for the pathway because I know getting to where you are today is an absolute challenge. And the fact that you played baseball, I just want to stay there because if you're in the game covering the game, I feel like when you play the game, you understand a little bit of the inherent idiosyncrasies of what it means to be a talented player, those that have it. Uh, Could you just speak on that? Because I really do believe that it's important for those who have the responsibility of covering the game of baseball to have that added perspective is just invaluable. 
Yeah, so I, I played it. I wasn't very good at it, um, but I played it through high school. Um, I was a second baseman slash outfielder, and I agree that playing it, even you know through high school like I did, it gives you – I think it brings some value to the table because you know you kind of – you know what to look for in a sense. Um, you know how hard the game is, and I think it helps when evaluating potential future prospects – um, and just watching the game in general, kind of picking up on little things that the average fan might not be able to pick up on. So I'm totally with you that it adds a little bit of value. Now I want to get your opinion on the Cape, because this is something that we reference all the time when evaluating prospects. And the White Sox really did put a spotlight on a lot of their players who had success in the Cape. Obviously, you're playing against the best of the best, wood bats. Just could you provide more perspective on what it means to scout in the Cape and how important that league is to future professionals. Yeah. So in my opinion, it's, it's the best, um, it's the best wood bat summer collegiate league in the world. And so this is where, for those listening who are unfamiliar, this is where the best rising sophomores, um, juniors, and even sometimes seniors will play during the summer after finishing up their collegiate seasons. And they'll come out here, um, and play. And what makes it so unique is both the talent level that's up here. Um, you know, you have, you have high end prospects and for the last five of the six drafts, it's, they've produced the number one overall draft pick. And also it, it, it gives scouts a chance to see how a player handles wood bats to see how pitchers do against the best of the best. Um, and it's a pressure packed environment. It's each, each of the 10 ballparks are really intimate players are kind of viewed under a microscope and it is a, it kind of mimics, I'd say talent wise, at least beginning, at least in the beginning of the season, um, what they're going to see in affiliated baseball. So I think it's the closest thing to a professional setting that scouts will get to see these players in. And I think that's what makes it so valuable and why they put such an emphasis on performance in the Cape league and wood bat performance in general. So, Peter, I think we'll get back into the Cape a little bit, just, you know, kind of talking about some of the guys that the White Sox took. I guess any any takeaways for you? Just, you know, it's tough to rate drafts this soon, obviously, but just like their their strategy uh, overall with the their 20 picks. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought the White Sox had a great draft. Um, I like the emphasis on college guys. Um, I know I might be a little biased on that side, but I really like the emphasis on the college side of things. I think they got some pitchers with some high upside. One guy that I particularly liked getting him in the fifth round um, is Christian Opper from Gulf from Gulf Coast Junior College, left-hander, uh, fastball up to ninety-seven. Um, there, there's you're getting really good clay with Opper, um, in my opinion, and I think that he's a a really good upside pick for him. Um, and I know we'll get into some of the other guys later, but the trio of pitchers. Um, that they that they got in Grant Taylor, Seth Keener, and Lucas Gordon. Those three college arms. Um, e- each of the three, I'm I'm really big fans of, especially Seth Keener coming from Wake. Um, I know that he's probably got a little bit overshadowed this year. Um, it's hard not to when he was on a, a star-studded roster such as the 2023 Wake Forest Demon Deacons, but he was excellent uh, for Coach Walter. Um, fastball up to 96. Uh, he's actually a big time slider guy, uh, threw a slider more than his fastball. And it had a, a really impressive miss rate of 46% change of flash above average. I think there's solid middle of the rotation upside there, um, with Seth. So I, I was, a 
I was really impressed with what the White Sox did, and I think that they're setting themselves up for for a bright future potentially. Yeah, so I mean, like this was Mike Shirley as scouting director, his fourth draft class. Me and Mike did a lot of you know a lot of pre draft shows and talked to lots of guests, and like we kind of saw the White Sox as a wild card just because you know he's taken Garrett Crochet, and then he you know he took Colson Montgomery and. Noah Schultz the last two years. And this year they went with the college guy, I guess, you know, just before we get too in depth on Jacob Gonzalez, did you, I guess, like, what are your thoughts on just, you know, they went Colson Montgomery, Noah Schultz the last couple years, you know, you guys at baseball America have both of those players ranked in your top 50 right now. Just, I guess, how do you feel about those two guys right now? Absolutely. I think that Colson Montgomery and Schultz each, you know, have the potential to be high impact big leaguers down the road for the White Sox. Um, Colson Montgomery is raking. Um, he's got a really good body, 6'3", 205, probably going to stick at shortstop long term. And then Noah Schultz has gotten rave reviews so far this year in Kannapolis. Um, it is almost unfair what he's doing in, you know, just 14 innings, 21 Ks to, I think it's two walks and he has, he's yet to allow a run. Um, I think there's eighth ace upside. He's such a unique kind of unicorny prospect with, you know, he's 6'9", 220, um, thunderous fastball, um, showing he can start. And I think that it's it's future ace upside with Schultz and, and future high-impact bat upside with Montgomery. So um, I know that they're still probably a little ways off, maybe 2025 or so for each of them, 2026, uh, depending on how, how aggressive they get. But um, I, I think if there's anything that White Sox fans can look forward to, it's those two um, on the south side. So I take it your your Baseball America like Slack channel or whatever you use after Josh Norris sees Noah Schultz, pretty <laughs> pretty interesting, I would imagine. Oh yeah, the the Slack after uh, Josh gets to a Noah Schultz outing is it's blowing up. It's about six or seven straight messages from Josh. Uh, raving about Schultz with his 80 grade video that he always gets. Um, it, I, the video is the most impressive part. Um, so I, I, I enjoy watching those, but yes, he is, he is a big Noah Schultz fan as are all of us at BA. What did you think about Jacob Gonzalez at 15 overall? And now, you know, like I think like I really look at, or I like to look at the totality of a draft class, right? Like what did they do with the 20 picks and the whole 9.5 million you know, Jacob Gonzalez is $3.9 million. I mean, that's pretty significantly under slot. I guess at the time, I guess, what did you think about that one? And then are your thoughts any different in retrospect, like I guess after seeing the number? Yeah, I mean, I know that there was talk of him maybe sliding out of the top 10, which he did. But I think that the White Sox being able to get him at 15, um, that's really good value, I think, for that pick. And getting him under slot adds to it. It's a left-handed hitting shortstop. He's going to stick at the position. The bloodlines are obviously apparent with his dad, Luis. Um, track record, who's been a college performer for the entirety of his career, kind of the, the only quote unquote down year he had in 2022. I know you look at the average, uh, it, it doesn't jump out, but 18 home runs walk to K has always been really good. The approach has been sound. Um, I know there's some questions about the swing, but he's produced with it. So I think at 15, uh, they're getting a high floor college type of bat who, um, might not have the upside of someone like a Colson Montgomery. Um, but at that stage, I think is a relatively safe pick in the middle of the first round. Um, so I, I was a fan of it getting him there. And I think that that was the perfect time to jump on someone like, like a Gonzalez. You know, I, okay. You're <laughs> giving White Sox fans way too much optimism here because we have just been <laughs> spoon fed all of it over the last 
almost decade about some of these upside players following up. Oh, there goes my dogs. They're starting to freak out. So give me one second. James, can you follow up for me? Yeah, sure. No problem. So, you know, I, I think it's, I almost think like college bats, Peter have been taboo here, just like among fans, right? Just because like, if you followed like the arrow with Nick Hostetler drafting and Nick was very good to us and, you know, four straight college hitters, during the rebuild and it didn't, you know, it didn't go great. I feel like. So I think like once the pick happened, I think there were people that just like thought it was like super safe, but something that wasn't super safe, I guess was the second rounder. This is one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you today, just because so Grant Taylor, the scouting report from you, obviously rave rave reviews from the Cape. And I guess from the fall last year before he blew out, making this a pretty high upside choice in round two scouting director Mike Shirley after the draft said he felt like they got two first rounders that night yeah so I know I just got roasted a little bit or not roasted but uh called out for the optimism I was giving uh Sox fans but I'm gonna continue here because Taylor was a pick that I loved in the second round um he was the most impressive pitcher that I saw last year on the Cape 2-1 ERA up here 30 K's to just two walks and 21 innings uh, fastball up to 96, 97 with run and ride through the zone. Uh, curveball was plus in the high seventies, uh, really sharp downer curveball. And then he also showed up here, he showed feel for a slider, a changeup, and then he also mixed in a shorter cutter. So it's a true five pitch mix. Um, he's kind of, he's a durable, durable kid at six two two thirty, uh, relatively low mileage arm. Um, in my opinion, every arm at some point is going to, every pitcher at some point is going to need Tommy John. Um, and so I think that it, it's a little bit of a, there's obviously risk associated with the pick, um, but I don't think it's as glaring a red flag as it once was. Um, and so for him to get the surgery, to get it done with um, this year and to kind of be back and be able to work his way back during spring training next year, maybe spend some time at the complex will be really valuable and again, I think he's got really solid middle of the rotation type upside. And I, I kind of agree with the assessment that they they felt like they got two first round picks because if Grant were to pitch this year, he would have probably been in the weekend rotation for LSU. They probably still win the national championship, and he's a big reason why. Um, I mean, we saw Ty Floyd go in the competitive balance round, and the, his one start in Omaha obviously really helped that. But if Grant Taylor was able to put put in a full season of work, there it certainly would have been within the realm of possibility that, that he hears his name called in the first 30 to 35 picks. So um, that was a personal favorite pick of mine. And, and um, I, I think he's really got a chance. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Peter, as we look at these draft picks, you're infusing this farm system with some advanced arms. And I know we're not going to see Grant Taylor pitch this year, but do you have any timeline for a pitcher like him who just suffered Tommy John surgery and anticipates to start next year in a full season? Yeah, so I, I think with him, again, whether he returned to LSU or, or is now signing to, to play professional baseball, um, I think that the timeline lines up for him to, to kind of work back during spring training, um, probably spend some time at the complex. I know that they'll be very cautious and they're not going to want to push him. He'll kind of work his way back, I'd say, in February and March. And then I think April, around April or May, maybe June, he'll be ready to roll. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I'm hoping that over the next couple of seasons that we'll see the White Sox promote a lot of the arms that they've been developing and drafted internally. So internal options in the starting rotation is wonderful. And that leads me to the next pick uh, for the Chicago White Sox and Seth Keener out of Wake Forest. You described it a little bit earlier. The fact that he began the season in the bullpen, had success after transitioning to becoming a starter I mean, really gets me excited because there's a sample size to suggest that Keener can start. What are your thoughts on the pick? Yeah, I agree. I was I became a really big fan of Seth, both after what he did last summer on the Cape, um, ironically enough, pitched his way to a 180 RA um, in 24 innings. And then this year at Wake, I, I really kind of fell in love with who he was as a pitcher. Again, as you mentioned, spent some time in the bullpen at the start, uh, worked his way into the rotation and, and showed he could start and, and handle a starter's workload. 94 strikeouts in 70 innings. Primarily, again, throws a slider, which is an above-average pitch, supplemented by a fastball that can be run into the um, the mid-90s. So I really like the pick in the third round, and, and as I mentioned, I think it's middle-of-the-rotation type of upside with Keener. Peter, you know, another one of the guys they took, Lucas Gordon, in round six. You know, it's $300,000 signing. I know it's like, you know, what, like a back-end lefty, Tops, I guess. Can you talk about him? And then I guess if there's any other pitchers on the college side that you kind of liked or have seen personally. Yeah. So with Gordon, you touched on it a little bit. Um, he doesn't quite have the high ceiling that a Grant Taylor or even a Seth Keener might have, but he really, really knows how to pitch, commands all of his offerings well, um, was Texas's ace both this year and last. Had a 2-6 ERA, I believe, um, this year in Austin with over 100 strikeouts. Fastball slider change up, low effort delivery. And again, with him, the the command is the calling card. He is he is above average command of each of his three offerings. And and what he lacks in maybe premium velocity, he makes up in his ability to pitch, which I think in today's day and age where there is so so much of an emphasis being put on velocity and PRing and and trying to get into the upper nineties, which is a valuable asset for sure. Um, I think along the way, there may have been a little bit less emphasis put on knowing how to pitch and, and feel the pitch, which is something that Lucas Gordon has. So kind of as high, a, a pretty high floor selection, I'd say, in the sixth round and in a safe pick at that. Two that were like a little bit surprising to me, the Jake Peppers pick in round nine. Jim Callis talked to us about him. Like he was ranked in their top 200 at MLB. And then even like Garrett Wright at TCU. Like, I don't know if you've seen either of those guys, but... Like him going in round 20 was kind of surprising too, just because like some, you know, some people that do what you and others do, like kind of had him in their top 400-ish. So I guess those two were two that caught my eye, like from the college side too, essentially. Yeah, I think in my opinion, Peppers is a little bit of an upside play in the ninth round, um, moves well, pretty projectable at 6'3". I, I don't know what he's listed at weight-wise, but it's there's some projection remaining and some room to add some good weight to his frame. Slider right now is the calling card. 
Uh, his fastball has been, I believe, up to 97, 98, maybe even 99. Um, so a little bit of an upside play there in in the ninth. And then snagging Garrett Wright in the 20th, I think, is is really good value um, in the 20th round. Um, Big-time stuff, 93, 96 with the fastball, slider again, a plus pitch. You're probably getting a reliever there with Wright. But kind of putting an emphasis there on the value that you're getting, I think, with the last pick of the draft landing someone like Wright is is a really good pick. So um those are another pair of college pitchers I like with with Peppers I know kind of being a, a potentially lower floor than than Gordon but but really high upside. Okay, this is I love it. Keep bringing it. Keep feeding it cuz I want to buy in. And <laughs> I think White Sox fans are looking at the options internally moving forward, I think they're going to be paying much closer attention to the way that this organization is developing talent, considered a bottom 10 farm system across the league. And we don't have to get too in-depth about that. But speaking on just that point, a huge lift to this organization, and especially within the draft, was the selection of George Wolkow, a local player, obviously a prep guy who advanced his professional career a year early. So... I mean, this is a player that we anticipate, uh, at least Mike Shirley, according to Mike Shirley, to play the outfield. They believe in the athletic tools. He's got a lot of pop. And signing for a million dollars, I feel like that had the signing of the draft written all over it for the Chicago White Sox. And we're just really excited about the pick. Could you just continue to feed us more optimism? <laughs> yeah, and, and rightfully so. I think getting someone like George Walco in the seventh and also being able to sign him at that point is a is a huge win. I mean, you mentioned it with the physical tools, six, seven kid projectable. You talk about looking the part. And I think that if you say that phrase to someone, someone like George Walco is going to pop into their head. I mean, six, seven, I don't know what weight he's listed at, but a really athletic kid, monster power upside. We're talking about a high schooler with one of the highest ceilings, I'd say, um, or, or some of the highest ceiling in the draft. Um, and being able to sign him again, as I mentioned, is a big, big get. He moves well. He's he's shown well at third. As you mentioned, there's a chance to maybe even move him into a corner outfield spot, like right field, where he could hold it down. Plus power, really, really good body, and and I think that is an outstanding pick. Now, from one profile to the next, I love your opinion on Riku Nishida, a player from Japan, 5'6", second baseman. You just typically don't see that profile available, and the White Sox took a swing on him. What do you know about Nishida? So, personally, I didn't know anything about Riku Nishida. Frankly, I didn't even know Riku Nishida existed um, until last summer when I got up here to cover the Cape, and I left after the season coming away with him being probably my favorite player that I was able to watch. Um, it's a really, as you mentioned, unique profile and kind of a, a unicorny profile in its own right. It's just five, six, one fifty, really small kid. But I mean, I, I fell in love with watching him play immediately. It's 80 great energy. He has a knack for making an exciting play on the dirt. Um, moves really well from moves really well laterally at second base. They had him in right field this year a little bit at Oregon, where he actually showed pretty well, um, making big plays in the outfield. So they professionally, I think it's either second base or left field. But with him, the approach and bat to ball skills really, really, really stand out. There's there's not a lot of swing and miss to his game. The feel for the barrel is excellent, which he demonstrated up here against the the best college pitching in the country. Um, there's not a ton of impact, but 
this spring at Oregon, he swung wood bat for the vast majority of the year, and he still put together a really respectable season. Not even respectable. He put together a really good season, in which he hit 312 with 16 doubles, five home runs. He's a plus runner, I'd say above average defender um, with a really advanced hit tool. And again, that approach and bat to ball skills, he sees spin really well, is in complete control of the box. And I think, again, sort of how the ability to pitch may have, has kind of been a little bit of a lost art recently. I think that the ability to move the baseball and put the ball in play consistently at the plate is a little bit of a lost art. And he, and he's bringing that back. Um, he's going to fight every at bat, just such a fun player to watch. He brings infectious energy to whatever dugout he's in that rubs off on everybody. And he's a, he's an extremely valuable asset both on the field and off of it. So just like looking at, I guess the rest of the draft class, there's some guys we haven't touched on. Anybody else uh, that you, you find interesting or anybody else that you've seen in person? Yeah, I think getting someone like Ryan Galaney in the 13th round, um, that is another, I, I'd say, win in terms of value. You have a really proven college bat with a lengthy track record. He won SoCon Player of the Year this year at Wofford after he hit 383 with 15 doubles, 17 home runs. He hammers the ball to all fields. I think what stood out to me the most, and he played, I think it was 15 or so games up here on the Cape before um, before getting drafted and subsequently signing, um, is his ability to drive the ball to the opposite field. Um, he was consistently driving balls into the right center field gap, over the fence and right center. Um, it's, a, it's an all-fields approach, and I think that the defensive value they're getting at third base, I know that primarily this year at Wofford, um, he held down first base, but he played third for the vast majority of his time this summer. Um, and it was clear that he had made progress there. He He's far more comfortable now coming in on baseballs, going from side to side, um, and throwing from all arm angles. So they're getting a veteran-proven college bat um, who really knows how to run the bases, I'd say. Um, they have a really unique um, base running system at Wofford um, that – they're, they're maybe one of, or if not the best base running team in the country, I'd say collegiately them in Kentucky are really good at it. Um, he knows how to run the baseball senses off the charts, really good kid grinder. Um, I like him a lot. And I think that he, he brings a high floor type of pick and he's just a, he, he's a baseball rat. I mean, he's going to live in the facility. He's going to live, uh, you know, the complex and he's going to do whatever it takes to get better. So um, him in the 13th is another person I'm excited about. Did you see White Sox third baseman Brooks Baldwin last year in the Cape at all? Just wondering. Yeah, I did. And so he played, I know he's off to a little bit of a slow start this year, um, but he played all over the diamond um, on the Cape. He played, I think, a, a game almost at every position except for catcher. Um and he even showed well at a premium position like shortstop and center field um, could really handle the bat. There's a little bit of swing and miss to his game, um, which I know he's still cleaning up and refining, but um, I think that the added, I think he's added impact since transitioning to pro baseball and it's showed, I think he's up to near, I actually checked the stats last night so I can <laughs> randomly check his stats, but I think he's up to like 20 extra base hits, still a plus runner, good athlete. And again, kind of a baseball rat. He's really going to grind. He's still only 22 years old. I think that there's there's still value to be had with someone like Brooks. We hear this every year, Peter. Just you know, White Sox scouts and evaluate like and look that that's what we're close to is the White Sox, right? I'm sure every team talks about 
you know, like Cape Cod League success, essentially. And I think the teams really feel like kind of what you said, where you think it's whatever, the best summer league or like the best wood bat league. Um, just, I guess, like, you know, you you explained it pretty well. Can you just like maybe again paint the picture of just how many scouts and evaluators are at each one of these games, essentially, when you're there, like covering one of these things? Absolutely. And, and when I first kind of started, um, you know, appreciating the amount of scouts, it it's really breathtaking because as I touched upon earlier, these are pretty small ballparks for the, with the exception of Chatham and Ketuit, um, all eight other fields are, are high school fields. Um, so it's the ballparks really probably aren't going to blow you away. They're beautiful settings, but in terms of size, they're really small. So you're kind of all packed in like sardines behind the plate and up and down the line. And especially before the draft with how the draft got moved to July, Early on in the season, especially, I mean, there will be upwards of 40 to 50 scouts at, at each game, ranging from area guys to cross checkers to directors and and even high ranking front office personnel. And there is I mean, there is serious, serious heat at at all of these games. So I think that putting together a full summer of of strong performance does does wonders for your draft stock and might even save face a little bit if you were to go back to school and have a bit of a down year. It's like, okay, he struggled at school his junior year. Um, that's obviously something to look at, but there's clearly something here with this kid. He performed well in the Cape. I saw him and got a really good look at him for a few games for a week. Um, this kid can play. And so that's where I think that it, it brings so much value to, to all 30 organizations. Peter, you've been so kind with your time. This is wonderful insight. And I know the listeners really appreciate it. And we appreciate you for jumping on the podcast. I got two more questions for you. The first one, you know, the White Sox are ticketed to sell at the deadline, and we anticipate that you know they'll they'll qualify for the lottery and potentially get a top five pick. What are your thoughts on the draft next season? I know this year was loaded at the top and across the you know the first and middle rounds, but what what would you say? How would you evaluate next year's class, and what do you think the White Sox can benefit from being in the top five? Yeah, I think we were all a little bit spoiled with this year's draft, just looking at the the talent, obviously in the top five um, with players like Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, Max Clark, and Walker Jenkins, and obviously up and down the draft in all 20 rounds. Um, but next year at this point, I, I mean, there's there's talent to be found in, in, in every single draft and, and ample talent at that. But I'd say at the top, it's, it's not as maybe star-studded as – as you, as this year was, and then maybe not as deep as a whole as this year was. Um, but again, I think a trio of college bats and Nick Kurtz from wake Travis Bazana from Oregon state and JJ Weatherholt from West Virginia are high impact, big leaguers. Um, they have high impact, big leaguer written all over them. Um, when trying to project them, JJ Weatherholt, there's an argument to made. He's the, the best pure hitter in the country right now. Um, especially going into 2024, even in this year, regardless of, of draft class, I talked to a, to a scout who said he would take him as a top 10 overall pick in this year's 2023 draft. Um, he hit nearly 450 at West Virginia with 24 doubles, 16 home runs, 36 stolen bases. Again, an outstanding pure hitter, 70 hitter with some thump in his stick plus runner. And I think what I think sets him apart maybe um, is that makeup I, this summer he he made team USA's collegiate national team but before that he he had a brief stint on the Cape with Chatham he left to go play for team USA and then 
what stood out to me the most was he came back after Team USA and is back on the Cape playing where a lot of guys will just shut it down, kind of take some time to recuperate, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm sure a lot of people actually support that, but that stood out to me just how much he loves the game um, and just wanting to get kind of chasing at bats and chasing games. And then Travis Bazan is another one who's a personal favorite of mine and who, if I were picking first overall, I'd probably take him or tra- I'd probably take Bazana or Weatherholt. Um, seriously physical second baseman shortstop from Oregon State. Hit 374 for the Beavers this year with close to 35 extra base hits. Like Weatherholt, 36 stolen bases. He's an elite level athlete. He's a plus runner. Um, there's serious he's he's a seriously physical kid. Um, I wouldn't let the six foot height listing fool you. I mean, he is built and he's he looks chiseled. Um, really thick forearms, plus bat speed. Um, shown the ability to, to, to impact the ball with wood. He's hitting 300 right now in the Cape with two doubles and three home runs um, and more walks than strikeouts, super advanced approach, bat to ball skills are excellent. And then the, again, the feel for the barrel, like Weatherhole is, is outstanding. So those are, those are a few guys that, that I've, that I'm focused on right now at this point. And again, Cape Cod League, planting the names in our brains early on. Peter, this has been fantastic. You can follow Peter on Twitter at Peter G. Flaherty. Now, following your time with the Yankees, you found yourself working at Baseball America. What's it been like for you across the year, and what are you working on now as uh, the trade deadline looms as well as post-draft? Yeah, I mean, it's been a dream come true. Um, I go to bed each night and wake up each morning so thankful for – being able to call what I do work and, and, and being able to make a living off of it. And not only that, but being surrounded by so many great people and, and interacting with so many great people on a daily basis between Jeff Ponce, Josh, as you guys mentioned, JJ, Carlos, Teddy, Kyle, Matt, Chris, everyone on BA, Savannah. Um, they're world-class human beings and outstanding baseball minds. Um, who I am so fortunate to learn from each day. And then as far as working on stuff right now, um, it, it's a little bit, uh, at least on my side, because uh, I'm I'm mostly focused on the amateur side of things. So the college draft cape um, line of, I, I guess, thinking you could call it with the draft and college season largely passed. I'm pretty zoned in on the cape right now for the remainder of the season. And then as the fall ramps up, um, there's always college stuff to talk about. So uh, college practices, how they're going, how certain teams are looking in the fall, how some of these high, high-end freshmen who made it to campus are looking, um, and stuff like that. So for now, it's going to be plenty of Cape coverage, um, obviously notable college stuff more on the side. I have a piece coming out about the 2024 Wake Forest team. I believe it'll be in the August magazine and, and online at some point. Um, but primarily Cape covers now and the all-star game is Saturday. So that should be a lot of fun. And then as we get into the fall, um, I am awaiting my, my prospect handbook chapter assignment. So I will, I will be diving into and familiarizing myself with, with a farm system here shortly. Yeah, that's wonderful, man. And we, uh, echo those sentiments. We love baseball America and we have great relationships with those who are willing to talk to us and just also kind and you're uh, no different. So really appreciate the time, Peter. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I appreciate the kind words and and cannot thank you guys enough for having me on. This was a blast. Yeah, we'll be bugging you again because we love to hear good things about the Chicago White Sox organization. (laughs) That's Peter Flaherty again, at Peter G. Flaherty on Twitter. For James Fox, my name is Mike Crankin. We release episodes every Tuesday here on the Future Sox podcast. We'll talk to you all next week.